at our uh, worship in the park a few weeks ago, you uh, might remember that the uh, sermon text was from Psalm 124. And uh, Psalm 124 just so happens to have a song that goes with it, right? And uh, so we, we didn't sing it then, and I've been holding it until uh, today. So we're going to do one bonus song today. So uh, I'm going to let the uh, AV room work through this, as we usually, they usually do. Uh, thank you. So had it not been the Lord who was on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, uh, praise God that it is. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the anger of the enemy would have swallowed us alive. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, Blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the water would have engulfed us, we would have surely died. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, if you look through, the words are almost um, straight from the, the psalm itself, so uh, it was a, a good fit. All right, uh, I have some good news for us, if you uh, weren't here a couple of weeks ago. Lottie, I'd love for you just to pop up here. Yeah, 
So uh, I wasn't here, and uh, I sort of started hearing rumors that while I wasn't here, there was a baptism. And so I asked some questions and discovered that Lottie was baptized two weeks ago on the Sundays. So uh, we just want to uh, welcome you here into the Lawson Road family. And uh, we like to do it at this point because when we come around the communion table, it's a family table and we, we take the, the meal together or the, we, we take the Lord's Supper together as a family and uh, you're part of the, the family here and uh, we walk with you and you'll walk with Christ in the, the time ahead. So uh, we're just really thrilled for you and uh, glad to have you here at Lawson Road and part of, part of our family. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, the other less exciting piece of news is uh, just a reminder that uh, growth groups are kicking off and uh, they begin today. And I almost forgot that I had to write questions for them. Um, but there are questions. They're downstairs outside my office on the table there. So if you're uh, not in a, if, if you're in a growth group, make sure you grab them. Uh, you'll get them emailed to you as well, I think. But uh, if you haven't yet signed up, please, please do that. There's plenty of plenty of vacancies, and uh, we, we would love to have you join in one of those. We discuss the sermon each week, or the material topics related to the sermon, and it's an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper, but to do so uh, in a comfortable group of friends. So uh, we have a Sunday afternoon, we have a Tuesday evening, and a, a Thursday evening. For right now, the Sunday and the Thursday are online. And the Tuesday is in person over in, uh, at the Whitmires in, in Penfield. So uh, we'd, uh, yeah, find a group that works for you, sign up, and uh, we'll be in touch. If you have any questions, please uh, let me know. Do you ever wonder what the end of the earth or the end of our civilization will be like? You spend much time thinking about that? Well, if you do, you don't have to wonder anymore because this Hollywood think tank has uh, given us many scenarios over the years for how the end of the world or the end of our civilization is going to come about. And uh, so we have some um, proposals here. You know, you can begin prepping when you get home. Uh, but uh, for right now, uh, let me turn that on. Our first one, if we can advance it. There we go. Uh, asteroid, okay? Giant asteroid slamming into Earth. Um, and uh, Bruce Willis probably won't be able to rescue us. Um, but uh, that's, that's one of the scenarios out there. Okay? Uh, I don't know if it's more or less likely, but the second scenario that we see, of course, is artificial intelligence going crazy and uh, robots taking over the planet and uh, putting humans in our place. One of the more popular um, endings to our civilization as we know it, and this scenario goes back um, many, many decades, is the idea of alien invasion. <coughs> okay. Uh, whether it be the, the Transformers, I, I could have gone with, um, oh, the, the superheroes, um, what can I think of their name, anyway, um, or, or the aliens from Independence Day, and of course there's any number of um, 
other alien movies. Well, we've all come through a pandemic in recent months, but Hollywood was out there in front of that. And uh, these were, were two movies that uh, relied on the population of Earth being wiped out by a disease or a virus. And uh, the second one there is a, a TV show. And how, those, how people survive or what it's like when, when everybody else is dead and there's only a few remaining. Um, I'm grateful that we didn't find ourselves there. Uh, perhaps the most likely um, is the idea of uh, climate change, right? Um, so on the one extreme, there's water world when the ice caps melt, and uh, the other possibility is uh, that everything turns to ice. So, you know, to choose your poison, so to speak, there. But uh, wh whether it's a, a rise in temperature or a drop in temperature, it could end life as we know it on this planet. And then last for my list, um, and it's a very, this is an abbreviated list, obviously, you can add to it. Um, there's the possibility that humans destroy the environment to such a degree that we're then the planet becomes unlivable, we're forced to flee uh, to another planet and we'll just leave behind a little trash compactor uh, to clean up what's uh, left behind here. So um, there, there's lots of different scenarios for how life might come to an end on planet Earth. And there's so many more films, right? So many more things. Then there's all the films where they don't even tell you how um, the world got to that sort of situation, but they just, obviously, it's on its last legs. These movies are just a glimpse of, of all the scenarios. But how about you? Do you spend much time thinking about the end of the world? I don't. Not really. Not unless I'm watching a movie. <laughs> Most of the time, it's not, even, it's not on my radar at all. But the Bible spends quite a bit of time talking about what happens at the end of time. In the Old Testament, the people were, of Israel were looking forward to the day of the Lord. This was their, their term. Okay? They didn't have a, a clear picture of what it was, but they were waiting for the day of the Lord. What they, in, in sort of general terms, what they were looking for was God to intervene, okay, to step into history and to fix everything that was wrong. So Israel is a very small uh, country, very small nation. It's surrounded by big nations, Egypt to the south, uh, Syria to the north, eventually it'll be Greece to the west, and to the east there's all sorts, whether it be Babylon or Assyria, the Parthians, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, different empires that are, are out there uh, to the east. And so there's a, a lot of pressure for these small nations that are kind of in the middle of these big ones, because the big ones just take it in turns. They're like, oh, we'd like that territory, and they take it. Right? And then somebody else says, no, we want that territory. And so there's a war and they either take it or don't. 
And so there's Israel just trying to live, go about their business. They have no great ambitions of being able to go down and ever defeat Egypt. They, they don't imagine that they can go and invade Babylon and conquer them. They don't think that they'll go to Rome and someday that Rome will become an Israelite nation. They're just there. We're living here, doing our minding, our own business. You guys go, you fight your wars all around us and leave us in peace so we can worship God and live and honor Him. You know, that was kind of their, their mindset. And, and so they're looking then for the day of the Lord because when they're under the control of these other world powers... They're like, this isn't what God intended for His people. God didn't bring us out of Egypt just to have Egypt send an army here eventually and tax us and, you know, require us to pay tribute and have their military bases in our territory, uh, appoint our kings. They, God didn't bring us out of Egypt just for Babylon or, or Syria or Greece or Persia or Rome to, to come and, and put us under captivity again, right? So they recognize that when these powers are in place over, you know, are, are in authority over Israel, that this isn't what God wanted for them. And so they, they build their hope that there will be a day of the Lord where God will step into history in some way and that He'll make it right, that He will establish his people, establish their kingdom as he intended for them, that they will experience the freedom that he brought them out of Egypt to experience, that, that he will give them the peace that he brought them out of Egypt to have, that, that he will um, have a king on the throne that is wise, that is um, a good king, that will protect them and lead them and ensure that justice is carried out in the land. He says, we need God to step into history and we are looking for the day of the Lord when everything will be made right. But at the same time as they were doing that, many of them were living in an ungodly way. Right? So, if, if you're one of the people and you're living in an ungodly, and, and you're practicing injustice towards other people, Okay? And you're profiting from it. And, and then in your head, you're saying, oh, I'm waiting for the day of the Lord because, you know, life's pretty good now, but when the day of the Lord comes, it's going to be even better. If I'm, if I'm you know, profiting now when life's difficult, you know, uh, what's it going to be like when the day of the Lord comes? And, and so they go into the temple and they're worshiping and they're hoping for the day of the Lord. In the meantime, they're treating their fellow citizens miserably and cruelly and taking advantage of them. Um, and so, in Amos chapter 5, we read there about the day of the Lord. Amos is God's prophet, and he says to uh, the people here, he says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. He says, Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That will be a day of darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to, be, to meet a bear. As though he entered his house, rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Okay? So, what they're saying is, like, you guys think it's going to be good for you when the day of the Lord comes. But you're living in such an ungodly way 
that it's not. It's not going to be light for you. It's going to be darkness for you. And, and, and so he said, the, the, the imagery there, is, he says, you're, you're going to run away from a lion. You think, oh, I'm safe. That was great. Then you turn the corner and there's God's bear, right? It's like, that that's the day of the Lord. You're going to run into your house, whatever it is you're running from, the, the whichever army you're running away from, and you think, oh, I'm safe. Made it to home base, right? And uh, the, the, this is the day of the Lord. God will protect me here in my house. And you put lean on the wall, you're relaxed, you're comfortable, and then a snake bites you. Right? That's what the day of the Lord will be like, because you're expecting one thing, but the day of the Lord is another thing, because you're not living in a way that honors God. You're not being faithful to God. And so God isn't just going to look up your name and your address and say, oh, well, they live in Israel, they've got a Jewish name, well, I guess we'll just bless them. He says, we need to, um, you need to worship and honor God and live for God. And when you're not doing that, life's not going to go quite as you expect. By the time of Jesus, the day of the Lord was connected with judgment. Jesus, in um, John chapter 5, and no, I don't have that. I don't have this one on the slide. John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Okay? So, what the, the sort of the, the Jewish teachers, religious leaders had, had developed their thoughts while uh, since Amos' prophecy. And, and what they said is, okay, what's going to happen is when the day of the Lord comes, we recognize that there are people here who are not going to, right, the light will be darkness here, yeah, then it's not going to be what they expect. Um, but that's not going to be for everyone. That's, Amos says that's for the people who are not honoring God, the people who are not faithful to God. And for those of us who are faithful, well, we're not going to be lumped in with them, surely. And so they, they sort of developed it that they understood the day of the Lord then as a day of judgment, a day of make decision-making, a day of sorting. And, and so um, they, they put those two ideas together. And that's why uh, here Jesus says, it's not going to be the Father who's going to judge you. He says, that's my job. I don't know how we think about Jesus. You know, and, and often we think of Jesus in terms of love and, and um, you know, he's human, he's approachable. Um, but this has always intrigued me that he's the one who has entrusted all judgment. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus says there, I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So we see this sort of change in terminology from the day of the Lord to the day of judgment. Okay? Talking about the same thing, really. What's going to happen at the, at the end? How are things going to be resolved? Maybe not exactly the same, but pretty close. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, we see there three times that Jesus says it's better for you to cut your hand off. 
than for you to sin, for you to you know, steal, for you to live in rebellion of God and to, to go to hell with your hand, right? It's better for you to pluck your eyes out than for your eyes to prompt you to, to sin, resulting in that judgment and, and hell. He says it's better to, to go to heaven or live now and, and go to be with God without your eyes than it is to, to go to hell. Judgment and, and the consequences of living in rebellion to God are very real. And so Jesus here is acknowledging that there's behaviors, attitudes, beliefs that are not acceptable to God. One day, because of sin, one day Jesus will return and will judge all humanity. And so sometimes it's called the day of the Lord, sometimes it's called the day of judgment. But he, Jesus also uses other descriptions of it. In Matthew chapter 24, here the disciples are sitting down with, with Jesus and they say, they, they recognize that Jesus is talking about um, one day the temple is going to be destroyed and, um, and so the disciples ask him in chapter 24 of Matthew in verse 3 and they said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Okay? For them, it wasn't so much the end of the world, but the end of an age, that there was going to be this big transition from one age to the next, and there'd be a, God would make a dramatic change in, in the way the world worked. And so, in, uh, so this is the question. What will be the sign that you're coming? So they recognized that Jesus was going to come and that his coming would signify the end of the age, the beginning of a new age. And so Jesus lists a, a whole lot of different things that he's talking about there. And then in, in verse 30, he says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay. So Jesus is coming, the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, this is what the end of the age is going to look like. It continues on in verse 30, it says, people will mourn before what they, what they see. Um, presumably people that haven't... Uh, place their faith in Christ. People who are living life without him. And now that they, you know, people who perhaps have said, oh, Jesus isn't real, Jesus is a fairy tale. You know, I, I, I can't see anything. I won't believe it. And now they see him descending on the clouds with power and great glory. And it's within this context of this conversation that we come to the passage that was read for us earlier in Matthew 25. We read there that it compares the, the kingdom of heaven to bridesmaids who are waiting for the coming of the groom. Okay. So, um, you know, it, it, in our culture, 
the idea is that the, the groom and the bride are just going to meet at the church building usually, right? So they're at their homes and they're going to come together to the church building. Um, I, I had the opportunity to attend a friend's wedding in Hong Kong uh, soon after college and, and it's different there and I think it's more like what's being described here is that the, the groom leaves his house and comes not to a church building, but to the bride's house. Um, in, in Chinese culture, there, there's then this ritual of bargaining with the parents. Okay? There's an exchange of dowry or an exchange of cash. Um, uh, they, they drink tea together, and then the bride leaves with the, um, with the groom. In fact, it's not just the parents. The bridesmaids are all, also there, and they have to be paid in order to let the groom work his way into the house, you know. So, you know, there's, they're, they're placed at strategic locations and the appropriate payment needs to be made and, and then he gets to see the parents and negotiate for the bride. You know, everything's settled and, um, and they can depart. The groom can now take her. So we have this sort of scenario here where the bridesmaids aren't sure when the groom is coming. So they're there, they're waiting for him. He has to come perhaps from a neighboring village, um, wherever it is that he's been, but he has to come from his house to the bride's house okay, in order to do whatever needs to be done, whatever conversations need to be held with the family, whatever arrangements need to be made. And, uh, and, and, but once that's made, they've got to leave. And so the question is, for, for these bridesmaids, you have to be ready. You have to be ready because he's not going to—he's going to want to get out of there. Right? He's not going to wait around for a couple of days while you track down a supply of oil. And so, you, because you don't know when he's coming, you need to be on alert. And, the, and so, this is the story is told in the context of saying, just saying, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. But what Jesus says is, "I'm going to return." He's going to come back to earth. He's going to be the judge. He's going to come on the clouds with power and great glory. That is going to happen. And just because we don't know when it's going to happen doesn't mean it won't. And, and so we need to be ready. And, that, and then in, in verse 31, uh, we find this description uh, of, of chapter 25. Verse 31, it says here, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. So, the, the picture here is kind of building up to Matthew 25. And, and he says, yeah, look, when Jesus comes on the clouds in glory and power, he's going to sit on the throne of heaven. And at that point is what we call the judgment. He's going to separate those who belong to him and those who don't. We could look at a lot more verses about this idea of Jesus and what's going to happen about his return. Um, you know, the, the Paul and the other uh, writers of the New Testament also talk about it. 
But what we just see in this glimpse, whether it be with Amos and the, from the Old Testament with the day of the Lord, whether it be the day of judgment, whether it be um, Jesus describing it himself of what it's going to look like, uh, this is the picture that God's giving of the end of the world as we know it. Okay? Whether it be the end of the age or the end of time, however you know, we, we want to think about that precisely. But Christ is going to come back to earth and everything will be changed at that moment. Everything will be made right at that moment because the Israelites were not wrong in their picture of the day of the Lord. They should have been looking for God to come and make everything right, to, to restore justice, uh, to, to make the world as he'd originally made it, you know, to get it back to the Garden of Eden, uh, to, to be the king of his people. But let me ask you, do you think of the return of Christ as good news? Do you think of the judgment day as good news? Do you think of the day of the Lord as good news? Right? Israel thought of it as good news. And Amos said, not so fast, my friends. <laughs> right? So what about for us? Do we see it as a good news? Is it part of the gospel? I think what often happens in many churches is that we look at the day of the Lord or the judgment day and we look at it in isolation. We, we have this image in our minds of, of God on a great throne, you know, that takes up the universe and there's little old me standing down by myself in front of him, you know, knowing everything that I've done wrong and, and he knows everything I've done wrong, every mistake I've made, everything I've said wrong, every time I've hurt someone else. And, and so there's you know, just me being my six feet and him being the whole universe and his throne shining and glowing and all his glory and power and, and it's me and him. And what's going to happen? And I think that's the image we have because we talk about judgment day and what's judgment day? You know, you've got to be ready. Right? And, and, and you've got to give an account. And so I think we, we have this picture there. We start worrying that our words and our actions are going to fall short of God's standards. And we're right. And, and we have this movie in our head, don't we? Do you have a movie in your head of, that, that you can just reel off all the things you've done wrong? Yeah? And, and there actually is another movie in your head of all the things you've done right. But if you, if you play that, then you feel like you're bragging then you feel like you're proud. So we don't tend to play that one very much. Instead, we, we just put on repeat the one of all the things we've done wrong. And so we know what movie is going to play when we're put in front of God's seat of judgment. Right? We, we, God's, Jesus is going to hit play on the, the, the DVR or whatever, and, and we know what's going to be up there. How can I possibly satisfy a good God? And that's when we see the judgment or the day of the Lord as a standalone event, right? Because there is no way that I can get out of there alive. 
But when we don't look at it in isolation, when we look at the, the judgment, that when we look at the end of the world, the end of time, however we think, when, when we start, when, when we see that as rather the culmination of everything that has gone before it, now we're just a little piece in a great big picture. When we see it as all that's wrong in the world being made right, that includes me, right? All that's wrong in me will be made right. When we see the day of the Lord as the realization of our unfiltered relationship with God for eternity, then maybe, just maybe, we could be one of the people that Paul mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. As Paul looks forward to the end of his life, writing the last letter that we have, he says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. He doesn't say I've been perfect. <laughs> he says I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me judgment day, punishment, guilt, shame, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Who would long for his appearing? Who would long for judgment day? Who would say, oh yeah, I can't wait until I get to stand before the throne of God? Paul would. And, and, and the all who have longed for his appearing, uh, uh, the church, right? The, the, it's the people who have committed their lives to God, who are following Christ, who have placed their salvation in him, who are the recipients of the good news that began at creation and has come through us until we get to that day of the Lord. We can look forward to it. We can long for the day of the Lord, long for the judgment day, long to appear before God because the good news, the gospel, is that we've been made right before God. And so because of that, we can say, yeah, I'm looking forward to that experience because God is my Father, right? Jesus is my brother. Jesus is my friend, he tells us. He calls us friends. That he died for us. He rose to give us hope. He, he sent his spirit and to, to live within us. And so now we can long to be with him. Let me close by giving a few reasons that even after thousands of years of futility, we should continue to long for the appearance of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he will restore order to chaos. Restore order to chaos, right? All the, whatever it is, you, you, we, we look at our world. I, I mean, even things that can be as simple as Android has one cable to plug their phone in and Apple has another cable to plug the phone in. And the two can't, I know they're changing it, but like that's chaos, Right? Things just aren't organized. And we're going to say, we just multiply that from something that is so simple like that 
to, to politics, to social issues, to education systems, to, to all the human systems that we have. And it's chaotic. It's certainly not based on, on equity and fairness. Right? When Jesus comes, he puts an end to the chaos. When Jesus comes, he will replace injustice with justice and accountability. Jesus will destroy evil and the tears that it produces, wiping away tears. Jesus will rescue his beloved people, right? We need rescue, don't we? Uh, when, when we talk here at Lawson Road, I talk at least about the LR3, right? Rescue and the R's are rescue, reconcile, renew. And, and I think the reconcile we understand, it's like I need to be reconciled to God. I need to, we need to see reconciliation in our culture and in our society. Renew is good because we get beat down and, and uh, we've got the sign out the front, a place to renew. And, and, and I want to be renewed. I want to be sort of refreshed, that idea that comes with that. But what about rescue? That's, sort of, that, that's a little bit negative because it kind of says that, that I'm stuck somewhere. It kind of says i got problems. It kind of says that, that I'm in a place that I can't get myself out of. And, and, and you're right, because God rescues us. You know, the word saved, we seem a lot happier saying, oh yeah, Jesus saved me, right? But, but saved and rescued are the same thing, aren't they? You get saved from a flood, you get rescued from a flood. The same thing happened. And we're rescued by, by Jesus. Because we can't get ourselves out of the mess that we get in. We can't get ourselves out of the chaos that we're surrounded by. Jesus will rescue his beloved people when he returns. Jesus will reward people's faithfulness. In James chapter 1, in verse 12, James here writes, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. Okay. Some interesting words here. It says that if you persevere in hardship, okay, and so you get through and you think, oh, yeah, okay. In fact, one of the pictures that I saw of this was a guy pushing a great big boulder up a hill. And it was like, oh, yeah, if I get the boulder up to the top of the hill, God's really going to love me, right? Um, but it, it's... It, that's only the beginning, right? He's saying persevere, get through the hard times. How do we get through the hard times? It says we, we, we stand the test under trial because the Lord is with us. We're not alone. God loves us, okay? And so we're, we get through those hard times. And when we do that, there's a crown of life waiting for us on the other side. Jesus rewards our faithfulness with a crown of life. And this is truly good news. You see, the judgment, there's different kinds of judgment, aren't there? There's the, the judgment of a court. There's also, anybody ever watched the Westminster dog show? It's usually somewhere in there at Christmas, New Year. There's nothing on television, but, you know, all the families just sitting around recovering from Christmas dinner, and lo and behold, there's a dog show on television, right? And there's a, a judging that takes place. What happens to the dogs that don't win? Nothing. They go home. They're loved. 
They eat well. They're cared for. They're groomed. And for the one that won, same thing. It goes home. It's loved. It's cared for. It eats. It's groomed. It just has a ribbon on its kennel. Judging it can be done in lots of different ways. And so for those of us who love God, who love Christ, who are faithful to Him, when we look forward to Christ's return, we can look forward to saying, yes, God loves me. He's going to care for me. He's going to feed me. I don't know if He'll groom me, but He'll... Uh, He'll make sure I'm in a good place. He's got a home for me. And he says there's a prize for making it there. Persevere because God loves us and there's something better ahead. There are some people that say, oh, you know, Christianity is all airy-fairy about whatever's in the future and on the other side and, you know, it doesn't matter. But I, I, I heard somebody say, they said, you know, that's fine for those of us perhaps that live in an affluent country. You know, and we say, oh, we don't want to just... You know, be a Christian for you know eternal uh, incentives. <laughs> you know, um, why, why would we do that? But for those who live in other parts of the world, perhaps for those who uh, face danger every day of their lives, for those who uh, struggle to find food every day of their lives or many days of their life, uh, for them to the, this picture that God provides of what eternity will be like is one that's so important to them. It's not just bribing them to follow Jesus. You know, it's saying, no, God has something better. And, and I think it reminds us that, that even for us, even in this country, you know, that, that God still has something better for us. The good news, the gospel of Jesus' return allows us to come before the throne of God with confidence, not because we're good, not because we're worthy, not because we pushed our big boulder to the top of the hill, but because Jesus has made us acceptable to God. Amen. Because the good news doesn't just begin with the New Testament, doesn't just begin with the resurrection, doesn't just begin when by the skin of our teeth we hear, well done, good and faithful, well, mostly good and faithful servant will let you in. You know, the good news is something that God has been working on all the way through history to get us to where we are today, to get us to where we will be in the future. Too often we live as followers of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living within us, a seal of our relationship with God. But we still say, I hope I'll hear good news on the day of judgment. Jesus promises that for His people, His return will be good news. Thank you, Peter. Please sing with me now as we prepare our minds to enter God.